Pastor Leon and his wife Sheila founded Gospel Tabernacle Church in 1982 in the heart of Lawrence, South Carolina. Since then, the Lord has richly blessed and increased the ministry and family of Gospel Tabernacle Church. Here at Gospel Tabernacle, we believe in the power of the Word of God to change the hearts and lives of believers. Gospel Tabernacle is a family church ministering to the whole family through the charismatic teaching ministry. Today's message will grow your faith and draw you close to the Lord as you open your heart to God's Word and His Spirit. Today. I've been basking in God's presence and His glory and just got a word and I had so many things that I got lined up to share and those kind of stuff and going on and so I'm going to do some of that here today uh, and uh, just a bunch of stuff that the Lord's been speaking to my heart and we'll just see what God has for us. i got so many ways that I can go and different things I can do and we'll just see what happens. God's good. But let's make our confession. Everybody say, this is my Bible and what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God. I boldly confess, my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, I'll never be the same. I'm about to receive the indestructible, incorruptible, ever-living seed, the Word of God. I'll never be the same, never, 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 in Jesus' name, shout hallelujah. Oh, that sounds real good. Do it again. Come on. Hallelujah. Come on to the housetops. Hallelujah. Woo, God is good. <laughs> oh, we're ready today. We're ready to go. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians. I'm just moving along here, and I've had so many ways I want to go, but the Lord just touched my heart to speak in this little direction. I'm going to get us there. But look with me, Ephesians chapter 2, and uh, look at uh, verse 10 as we study together. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 is where we're going to be here in just a, just a minute as I get there as well. Ephesians 2 and verse 10, if you're on your... Uh, your iPad or whatever you've got, you can get there as well. So, all right, Ephesians chapter two. We've been reading uh, as a text for what we've been talking about uh, lately concerning the habits of the good life, and we've been focusing in on prayer. And I'm trying to transition uh, from prayer into a place of the Word of God in our life as well, in the area and understanding of communion and fellowship with God. But we read for a text. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Notice, God has an ordination for you. God's ordained that you walk in them. What are the them? The them are the good works. God's ordained that you walk in good works. Now then, the Amplified Bible sort of brings some amplification to it, if you will. And it says this, for we are God's own handiwork, his workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do those good works which God predestined and planned beforehand for us, taking paths which he prepared ahead of time, that we should walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. God has prearranged, made ready, for you and I to live a good life. How many wants to live a good life? Somebody say amen. amen. Well, it, it's ready for you. God's already made it ready for you. It, it's his. He's given it to you. And now it's yours. And you're just welcome to live it. Uh, I'm not going to get into a whole lot of stuff. Because I've got my mind and my heart right where the Spirit of the Lord wants me to be. But let me just say this. 
If people were walking and living in the good life in America, we wouldn't have as many problems as we got in this place. Amen? Amen. Amen. We wouldn't. We wouldn't. Love will take care of it all. Jesus will take care of it all. I was remembering that and thinking about that, and I was drawn to the words that E.W. Kenyon wrote many years ago. E.W. Kenyon went on to be the Lord in 1948. And uh, he wrote a lot of writings and things. He wrote one called The Two Kinds of Life. He talked about the difference in living a life of the flesh and a life of the natural and a life of the Spirit of God. And in here, he, he talks about some things about what happens when we really do live this good life, when we really begin to walk inside the good life. He mentioned, he said this, he said, people can see the effect at once of this life in a man. Amen. When you get the good life on the inside of you, everybody else is going to know it. Yeah. It will show up on you. All over. It changes conduct. It corrects our habits. And it forms new ones in our life. The people who have it are known as the twice-born men of God. Women of God. Born once in the natural. Born again by the Spirit of God. The effects on the lives and the habits and the qualities of people is amazing. Let me know it's amazing what God's done in your life. You ain't the person you used to be. Somebody say, thank God. I don't know if husband and wife ought to turn to one another and say, thank God you're not what you used to be, but you know what, thank God. God's made a change in our lives. Oh, my, before I met Jesus, I was a wreck. I was a mess. Boys and girls who receive it in their teens seldom, if ever, sow wild oats. Amen? There are no... Child criminals who have it. Amen. No girls in houses of prostitution have it. Amen. Speaking of the good life. No drunkards have it. Amen. <laughs> no criminals have it. No crooks or thieves or crooked politicians have it. Amen. This is 1948, folks, all right? Amen. They've been with us a long time. Okay. None of them have it. Uh, and, and in this day, 1940, the saloon men and barkeepers do not have it. Amen. You're not going to find the good life sitting on the edge of a bar in a bar room. Amen. 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 I played music in bars a long time. I seen a lot of people, but I didn't see anybody that had the good life in those bars. <laughs> I seen people whining and crying the blues, trying to get rid of the blues and the whining they had. Oh, Lord, help us. Infidels, agnostics. Do not have the good life. Oh, my. The cultured, scholastic, ag- agnostic knows nothing about it. Amen. You can have a Ph.D. behind your name five times. Don't mean you got the good life. Right. Amen. Amen? My, my. A significant fact. If men and women who are spending their time and money in philopathantric, about when you make a lot of money and you just live to give it, uh, efforts and endeavors, if they did that, they would be, uh, if they knew something about eternal life for men, it would change their whole outlook on how they give. Yes. See, some people giving, I mean, and we ought to give to help us maintain this life. That's okay. Uh, do good things. I don't want anybody sick and suffering, and hurt and be in pain. I really don't. I can't stand. I don't want anybody to be in poverty and being lack and without. And so there's a lot of good endeavors to give along those lines. But there's also a lot more powerful and stronger endeavors to give on the lives of the spiritual things of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. When criminals and lawless receive eternal life, 
they become law-abiding citizens, worthy examples in society. Thieves become honest, drunkards become sober, and no case is incurable. Amen. Amen. What we need is a good life. Somebody say amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Kenyon. He being dead yet speaks. And so we're talking about how to have this good life and how to get into it. We know what God wants for us. We know that it's there, it's available for us, but what we have to do is do things in our life that, that promulgate it, that cause it to continue in our life and have force in our life. It just doesn't happen automatically and by itself. It's through God's grace and mercy that we're born again. You can't do anything about that. He did that for us. We just said yes, and he did everything else. But in the midst of that, we have to practice the habits that cause us to continue and walk out this good life that God has given us. I found this out. You can have issues in life, and if you don't ask, you don't, you don't receive. You can have things going on in your life, and if you don't try to get some help, you don't get no help, in other words. And so we have to do things. There have to be habits, patterns. Not just one time do it. It's not just walk down the aisle say yes to Jesus and walk back out and never see him again. It's not that at all. I mean, what kind of marriage would I have if Sheila and I, when we got married 47 years ago, uh, we walked down the aisle on Friday night and said, you know, we do. And she said, she did, and I did, and we both did. And said, okay, God bless you. I'll see you later on. <laughs> no, 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 we would not have a marriage today if we'd done that and just walked away from each other. I mean, it just would not have happened at all. If she just turned her pretty head and walked away, it just would not have happened. And so we have to do things that establish habits in our life that cause us to walk in this good life. And we've been talking about those. One of those in the arena and the area of prayer, we've talked about that we are uh, become children of God. We are born of God. He brings us into his family. God is my father. You are his child. We are connected. We have fellowship with him. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, that we do have fellowship with God. So there's relationship between you and God, God and us. And again, I preface that on the idea that sometimes people think about their relationship with God as some kind of religion. They say, well, okay, I memorized the scripture. Good, keep doing that. But I memorized the scripture, and I came to God, and I said, okay, God, I ask you to give me this, that, and the other, and then walk away from that and say, I hope he does. Well, it's, it's, it's more than that. It's certainly the scripture has its impact. We're going to talk about that. But it's a lot more than that. It's a relationship with God the Father. It's a relationship with him. Someone asked me one time about, you know, doubting God. And I said, well, how would I doubt God? If I doubt God, then i got to approach God. And the next time I talk to God and look at God face to face, and God is in presence with me in my communion time together, and, I, and I'm looking into God's face, he's looking into my face, we're there together. How am I going to look at him and say, God, I didn't, I didn't believe you. I didn't trust you. Now, if I just had a word or this or that or the other or a belief in my own heart or life, I might could do that. But I know i got to face him. I'm in relationship with God. Somebody say, I am in relationship with God. Still, and I, again, as I talk about our situation so much, I guess, we have issues in our life. It's not like I just write her a letter and say, well, you do this, that, and the other. Or she writes me back and proves it, says, stamps okay. That, that's not how it goes. Whenever we talk about things, I got to look at her face to face. I look into her eyes, big, beautiful brown eyes. I look into her eyes, and I look into her face. She looks at me. I see how it affects her, what I'm saying. She sees how what she's saying is affect me. There's relationship there. That's what you need with God. It's not just, well, I, you know, I, I believe this, and I'm asking this, and, oh, God, we do it, and in, in thy wonderful name I pray, amen. It's not just that. It's a real person that you're talking to. He is Jehovah God, the Lord God Almighty. And he is the one that you speak with and talk with. You need to develop a habit of being in relationship with him every 
day of your life, all during the day, but certainly every day of your life. We talked about that. We talked about the understanding that the Bible tells us that we have an opportunity for that fellowship through the arena of prayer, that God says that his ear is over and his eyes are over the righteous. He hears me when I pray. He hears you when you pray. We, we saw in Jeremiah 33 and 3 when God said, Call on me and I answer you and show you great and mighty things which you know not. We found out that when we go into prayer that we learn that when we go to prayer, we go into a place of more than I am. A place of what I cannot do. A place where my limitations are gone and God's empowerment becomes strong in my life. That's what happens when we go into the arena of prayer. And God promises that. He says, Leon, if you call on me, I'll answer you. How many knows God always tells the truth? Amen? He does. Jesus said it like this. He said, you can ask, you can seek, you can knock. All three of those things are going to happen for you. He said, everybody, everybody that asks, everybody that seeks, everybody that knocks, it's open to everybody. That's what Jesus said. So away with this idea that you can't get a prayer answered. Away with this idea and thought that God doesn't hear you when you pray. Get away from all of those kind of things. We looked at that. We saw in Scripture where Jesus told us that we were to pray in his name. And so that when we go to God the Father, I don't go in my name or your name. All due respect to you. But I don't go based on who you are or who I am or my need or your need. We go based on the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ has made a way for us to get to the Father. That is my interest to the Father. It's the power of the blood of Jesus Christ that gets me there. And I'm there as long as that blood still works. And it does still work. It always works. How many know the blood works? Amen? Amen. And you can get to Jesus or get to God any time on the blood of Jesus. Well, we talked about that. We talked about because of that power you had authority to bind and loose. Not to beg, holler, and scream. If you want to holler and scream sometime, we've got emotions. I understand some of that, okay? I understand a little bit of that. But, you know, hollering and screaming ain't going to get you any closer to God than anything else. you got power to bind and to loose in the kingdom of this earth. And God says from the kingdom of heaven, he'll make it real. Jesus promised that he would. He said that he'd do it. And so you and I just don't have to beg all the time and cry and just hope that somehow the Lord might intervene or he'll undertake or somehow he'll show up. No, he's given you the authority of the believer and you have the right to bind and to loose in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 And so we don't just come to God, you know, all upset and uh, that kind of stuff. Have you ever been upset like that? Well, yeah, a few times, a few human long enough and you hit enough tragedies in your life or things hit you hard enough. Sometimes emotions might just sort of turn you for a loop, whatever. But you know what? God understands us and that kind of thing. He knows that we're his children and we're just grass of the field. You know, today is, tomorrow is not. He understands us, knows we're just but dust of the earth, those, he, those kind of things. But that's not where we live and that's not where we're going to stay. And that's not where the Bible teaches us to come to Christ. It's not coming to him in prayer. We don't do that based on on our need, our hurts, our wants. It's not that we come based on the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for us at Calvary. And that was enough. Amen? Amen? You don't have to do anything more because Jesus at the cross, if I remember, and I think I do, at the cross Jesus said, it is finished. It's finished. And so, you know, all the rest of the things that we try to hook onto that, we don't need to do that. Just give it to the Lord. Let him take care of it. We learned in scripture, we saw about praying according to the will of God and how the Lord spoke to us. We learned about praying in faith and those kind of things that we sort of talked about last week a little bit. And, and, and let's look at Hebrews chapter 3. Turn me to Hebrews chapter 3. Let me show you something there just a minute. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1. I want to try to get to a place here in the scriptures here to see something. Uh, Hebrews chapter 3. And uh, I just sort of put it up this way. Maybe I can sit that way. Hebrews chapter 3. All right. Recognize something. You have a right to go into heaven with your prayers 
because Jesus has went there already for you. You don't have to persuade God to let you into the throne room. You don't have to tell such a sad story that you think that God may finally have mercy on you and let you into the prayer room. He has already had mercy on you. Okay? We get into that prayer room because Jesus is in the prayer room. You, you get into that arena where God is because Jesus has the right to go there and he gets you in. Back in band days when we played different places a long time ago, but when I did that, we did some facilities in different places like there were ticketed events and all kinds of stuff like that that took place. And there were some people that sometimes went with the band and they were called roadies and they'd go with us and help us load equipment and that kind of thing. And people like volunteer want to do that because they knew that if they were with one of the band members, they'd get into the venue. They'd get into the arena where we were going to go. They knew that that would happen for them. And so what? You know what? It's sort of like that except in a much greater way. We get in before God Almighty because Jesus got there. And I am in Christ. How many are in Christ? Amen. Amen. If you're in Christ, you're with him, seated in heavenly places. Our authority is by the throne room of Almighty God. We got every right to be in the throne of Almighty God. Now, look in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. How many already partook of the heavenly calling? Say amen. amen. Consider, think about, understand, the apostle and high priest... Of our profession, Christ Jesus. Jesus is the high priest of our profession. Some translations say confession. He is the high priest of our prayer life, of our profession of who we are in Christ Jesus. He is our high priest. What is a high priest? He is one that represents the others. In Old Testament times, the high priest had the right to go into the temple of God in the outer court and the inner court, and even into the most holy place before God where nobody else got to go. Only the high priest could go there and speak and commune with God. The Bible tells us under this New Testament, the new covenant that you and I live in, that Christ Jesus is our high priest. He is before God advocating for me. He is there on my behalf. Christ didn't need to come to earth. He came to earth on our behalf for us. And when he ascends and takes that victory back to earth, he didn't like to take that victory back for himself. He had it before he came and after he went and while he was here, he never lost the victory. He went back to heaven to, for us to take our victories into heaven. And so right now, as he stands in the presence of Almighty God, and I speak here on this earth, and I say, Father God, in the name of Jesus, I've transferred my prayer from being heard here on earth to being coming out of Christ Jesus' mouth. He is now advocating to me the God the Father. And I say to God the Father, this is what I have need of. This is my circumstance, my situation. This is what I'm facing. This is what is happening. Or it's a great day, God. I'm having a wonderful time and I'm enjoying living my life with you. And then as I do that, then Christ turns to the Father God and says, Leon just said it's a great day. He's enjoying his life in you. God says, I knew he would. You know what? He knew that we would. The Bible says, and Psalmist said this, I was glad when they said unto me, let's go in the house of the Lord. I knew when I went to the house of the Lord, I would feel good. How about you? Amen? Oh, I do. I feel good. I do. Look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24. Notice what it says. This makes it very clear. Hebrews 9 and verse 24. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are figures of the true. 
In other words, don't think about your prayer life being confined to planet Earth. It's not. It's not confined to anything made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself. Christ Jesus is in heaven itself. That's where he's at, by the right hand of God the Father. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 24 times you find that the Bible says that Christ Jesus is seated beside of the right hand of God the Father, 24 times. He's there. He is there interceding for you and I. Notice what it says here, that there, he said, with his, not made figures of the truth, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God. What's those last two words? For us. For us. Yes. He's there for me. You don't need to be there for him. He was already there for him. I mean, Christ Jesus, is, he's Lord. He's God Almighty himself. Of course, he's part of the Trinity. He's there for me. I got somebody on the inside. Amen? Now, Martha Stewart had some evidence on the inside. Got her locked up, didn't it? But I got some inside information. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. That's some good inside information. But I got somebody, I got a contact on the inside. I got somebody up there that is there advocating for me. Wanting to do something for me. I'm in high cotton. How about you? Amen. Amen. I got somebody on the inside. Everybody say, I can get a prayer through because Jesus made it through. Your prayers go through just as sure as Jesus made it. Absolutely. I, I can get a prayer through. You can too. We can get a prayer through. Not, not a problem. Look at me, John chapter 14, verse 26. Let me show you something here. John 14 and verse 26. Let's see if I can get there where I need to be. Well, look at verse 16. John 14, verse 16. Jesus said this, I'll pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. That word helper is the Greek word paraclete. It means one who is called alongside to help. We understand and know that it's talking about the Holy Spirit. Jesus is talking to his disciples in these few chapters of John, and he tells them again and again, I'm going away. Don't be concerned, because when I go away, I'm going to send you another helper or another comforter. I'm going to send you one that will be called alongside to help you. So when you understand that, recognize that God the Father, knowing that Christ Jesus was going back to heaven to take his rightful place on the throne of, throne of God with God, and that we would need someone here on this earth. So God the Father sends, Jesus said, I'll pray the Father and he will send. God the Father sends the Holy Spirit, God himself, third person member of the Trinity. God sends the Holy Spirit, his helper, to become our helper. And so right now, as I walk through this life, I have, you have a helper with us, a Holy Spirit, who helps us and is here to show us, lead us, guide us, and direct us on how to live this God kind of life. Amen. Yes. This kind of life I'm talking about this morning, you won't get out of a book. Amen. Books are important. I got many of them. Yes. But you're going to have to get the message of some of those books. Some of you don't need but some of them that are godly books, you need to get the message behind it and the person that's in it into your heart and life and become understanding about that, that that's a relationship that you can have with God. And there is a person, the Holy Spirit, who comes with us, around us, and even in us, baptizes us. And notice what he said, that he may abide with you forever. Amen. 
So it doesn't matter what goes on and what happens. The Holy Spirit's with you. Anywhere you go, the Holy Spirit is with you. If you're born again, you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Certainly, you're empowered at that point. The Holy Spirit is with you. And so wherever you go, whatever you do, you don't need to be concerned about it. The Holy Spirit's going to take care of everything. Amen? Amen. Me and the Holy Ghost, we got a thing going on. His name ain't Mrs. Jones. It's the Holy Ghost. Amen? Amen. Absolutely. Me and the Holy Ghost. Man, we, somebody do that. We just like that. Me and the Holy Ghost, we just like that. We just like that. We are just like that. Me and the Holy Ghost, man. All right, so, so Jesus said that. Notice he said that. Look another place. Look at verse 26 of that same chapter. Verse 26. Here's a second time the word is used, paraclete, second time. Verse 26. But the helper, or the paraclete, or the comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, I said to you. So the Holy Spirit will come and begin to teach you and show you and minister to you the things of God, the things of Jesus. Look at chapter 15 and verse 26. In chapter 15 and verse 26, the word is used again. Verse 26, but when the helper, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, comes, whom I'll send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. The Holy Ghost will come and he will speak to you all about Jesus. That's what he wants to do. He wants to make Jesus real to you. He wants to manifest Jesus' life in your life. Same exact word has been used three times, paraclete, in these three different times to talk about the Holy Spirit. There's one other time in chapter 16. Just go a little bit further, verse 7. John 16 and verse 7. Nevertheless, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, it is your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I depart, I'll send him to you. So the Holy Spirit has now been sent to us. So look with me to 2 John, I'm sorry, 1 John, and look at uh, chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1. Now let me show you the last time, four times I have read about the Holy Spirit, four times I've read about the word paraclete, four times I have read about this word helper, one called alongside to help, and now what we also see in 1 John chapter 2 verse 1 John said this, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Notice that Jesus Christ is now called an advocate. That word advocate is exactly the same time or same word as the last four words we have read that refer to the Holy Spirit. So what we have is this, is Jesus is our helper, our paraclete, our advocate that is in heaven, and he is representing you and me. God's advocate, God's helper, God's Holy Spirit is on earth helping us. You know, you got it made in heaven and earth. <laughs> I mean, on earth, my Lord, you got the Holy Spirit helping you. Walking with you, teaching you, manifesting Jesus in your life. And in heaven, I got Jesus that's advocating my case in heaven. Oh my, God is good, isn't he? He's good. How how can I not pray and have relationship with God? How can I not commune with him? How can I pray and have doubt and unbelief in my life knowing where God is and where Jesus is and the Holy Spirit and where I am and how there's this divine connection that puts us together? I won't go into all of it, but let me just give you one little part of something that the Lord did for me. Because this word strikes me as the word advocate, or the word counselor, or you might think of the word lawyer, or the word attorney. But one that advocates your case. In 1998, when uh, we were sued at our home and our property at that time, and uh, we were sued by W.R. Grace Company that wanted to come in 
and put a road right through the middle of our property to access nine acres that behind us that they owned. And when that took place and that happened, uh, they, of course, you know, filed a lawsuit and all this kind of stuff, wanting to get that property. They didn't want to pay anything for it. They'd come out and talk to me about it. I said, no, I'm not going to give it to you. They said, well, yeah, we got rights to it because according to landowner rights, if somebody has some land that's landlocked, of course, uh, you know that they're going to have access to that land. And so we're going to sue you and take you to court. And they did. And sued me and took, took me to court on it. Well, a lot of things transpired, a lot of different things that happened. Uh, along the way, but uh, one very particular thing that, that did take place and did happen, uh, which was very instrumental in the, us winning the case against them, is this. I, I didn't hire an attorney for anything like that, or I, I knew that in Lawrence that most of the things, and not being disrespectful or whatever, but just, just most of the things that attorneys in our area do are like wills and real estate and, and divorces and stuff like that, and, and I said, this is going to be a trial. We're going to take this thing to trial. That's what I want. I've got to get it before a trial, and so we had a hearing and that kind of thing, and I had three advocates who were against me on the other side, three counselors who represented W.R. Grace Company and also neighbors on both sides of me, so everybody was just piled in going to take me out, and so they were going to do that, and so in the midst of that, we argued for a trial and won that verdict. Got the trial in the hearing, not the verdict, but got that hearing, won that, and got the trial. They set the trial for a year and a half away, and that really discouraged them when they learned it's going to be a year and a half before they could do anything. And so, but it did because the trial case, criminal case, took that long to come up. And so, uh, when it came out that far. And so, uh, when we got there to that part, had won the, the jury, that kind of thing, went in, and there was some sort of a weak links in the thing. My dad owned a little bit of the property that was there, and they could come in on him. My dad said, I, I'm not even going over there anything. It's my land, and they'll never get it for me. Well, if he wasn't going to show up, he'd lose, and by default, they could put the road right through him. And so what I did, I arranged uh, just a, a few days before we had a hearing. I bought his land from him, put it in my name, and got rid of that weak link, link, link that was there. And so cleared that thing out. So everything's going my way. Everything's going good. And so then they come to the depositions, and they want to take a depositions for everyone, from myself and others that were involved in the case, that kind of stuff, next-door neighbors, other people are going to do the depositions. And so when they come up to that, the night before the deposition, I'm supposed to go, and I'm going to go into that hearing. I'd been in the hearing. The judge was there, and it was, a, you know, a courtroom issue, that kind of thing, and there were three attorneys over here at three different desks, and there I was, and there the judge was. Judge, very friendly. He really was very favorable to me being there. And so everything was working out okay, that kind of thing. And so we come to this time of depositions and that kind of thing. The night before my deposition, on a Tuesday night, I go into prayer. Okay? Now recognize they have three advocates. I got one. Okay? And he is on retainer, but don't cost a thing. Okay? They got three. I got one. And so that Tuesday night, I go in and I'm praying. I had bought several weeks ago a South Carolina handbook of techniques for trial proceedings. I paid a lot of money for that thing, and those things were expensive. And I bought it at the, in Columbia at the, the bookstore for the law college. And I said, if I'm going to go in before a trial, I need to know a little bit about it at least. And so I got that. And that Tuesday night while I'm praying, I'm just praying like I normally do. Lord, and I said, tomorrow's the deal, and this is when it's going to happen, and they're going to get my land if you don't help me, and I believe you will. And so here come the deal, and I'm praying on that Tuesday night. While I'm praying, I walk over and I pick up that trial book that has almost 700 pages, and I open it up, and I read this certain portion in it. I don't know what good it would do me or if anything, but I just read it. Closed the book and then put it down and ended my prayer. 
And the next day, Sheila and I went, and we went to the uh, hearing, that kind of thing. And while we were there for our deposition that we are going to have, all three attorneys came in, and they were going to do the deposition, that kind of thing, of myself. And uh, uh, they wanted to depose me. And because of a technicality that I brought up, they didn't get to uh, depot me. Well, then they brought in my next-door neighbor, and they were going to depose the next-door neighbor. And when the next-door neighbor came up to be seated, I said, let me ask you guys something. I said, I believe I just read last night that if you're going to depose someone in a case, you have to let everybody, all the advocates, all the attorneys, all the lawyers, everybody else, and I was a defendant proceed, you have to let everybody know three days ahead of time, according to South Carolina law. They said, that's right. Did you not get a notice? No, I did not, I said. They said, hmm, called his secretary in, said, check this out, check this out, check this out. Did Mr. Bible not get a notice? No, Mr. Bible never got a notice. At that point, I said, okay, we're not going to depose her today until I get my notice. They said to me was, what we're going to do is this. They said, here's the deal. They done got off work. They're going to be here. We're all here right now. We'd really like to get this done. And that's what I said. I said, listen, guys, if y'all come by my house and you're walking by outside and it was a hot day, I'd offer you, come on in and have a glass of tea and sit down together. But this ain't me offering you tea on a hot day. You guys are trying to steal my land from me without paying me a dime. So no deposition. When I said that, the, one of the attorneys got mad and cussed me to my face. <laughs> got up and stormed out, cussing his way out. The others all were mad too, and finally I left. So now I've got three things. that I, every, All three of the things that I've won. I've got the trial. I, I didn't have my deposition. Didn't have theirs. and got, you know, All these kind of things. I've sort of racking up these wins here. At that point, when that happened, when that took place that day, the next day... I got notice from W.R. Grace Company that they'd fired every attorney they had in Lawrence County. <laughs> fired them all. And they had moved, and they were going to Spartanburg to get some more high rollers to come in. Rather than, they thought it was going to be just a steamroll job. It was, but it rolled the other way. And so they went to Spartanburg and got somebody to come in. When I heard that, I called up the attorneys in Spartanburg, and I said to listen, guys. I know what's going on, what's happening here. You guys trying to get back here, uh, my nine acres of land. How about this? How, how about you just sell me that land and we won't have any problem here? They said, well, what would you get for it? I said, well, not much. They said, how much? Not much. Oh, $500 an acre. And it's valued at 10000 an acre. But I said, 500 an acre. They said, really? Are you crazy? I said, no. Hmm? 500 an acre. I said, talk to the people. They talked to the people and they took it. And so I bought nine acres of land for $4,500. They paid the closing costs. They paid the survey costs. They paid for everything. And it went from being sued to me not only just owing eight acres of land, but now I own 18 acres of land. And I was the one who got sued. But where did it come in? The case broke the night before when I talked to my advocate. Amen. Amen. You see? If I had not read that, think about it. If I had not read that, it would have not broken the case right there. If I had not, by... Chance read that Tuesday night, then on Wednesday it would not have broken the case. I would have known it. I would have known it. They went right over me. But why did I take 700 pages, go to just one page in it, read a paragraph in it, and that was a paragraph that I needed the next day? It's because I have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So here's the deal. 
you, you walk in these kind of things and you get to where you walk in it day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, till you sort of look back and you can say, you know, this stuff really does work. Amen. This, this is not something that's just a theory. It's not something that you read that somebody else did. You know, these are things that you experience. And that's what I'm trying to get across to us during this time of understanding. It's communion. It's fellowship. It's living with God. It's living with Jesus. It's interceding and praying before Him. It's walking this thing out with Him. That is what we are doing in this life. Don't, don't think his prayer is something, well, I just, you know, bow my hands, Father, in the name of Jesus, I would ask you, and I look at my prayer list, and I see item one. I ask you this, in the name of Jesus, thank you, goodbye. Okay, did you get it? Well, I don't know why I asked the Lord. I, well, wait, I don't know. I... No, have a relationship with him. Amen. If I talk to Sheila, and you want to know, did, did we get our situation solved? I can usually tell you, not based on just what she says to me, but based on how she looks, how she acts, how her spirit is, how her attitude is. There's relationship there. That's what you need with the Father God. Amen. That kind of relationship in the arena of prayer. Now, let me show you something. Look, look with me to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. I want to show you some other things that just struck out and just sort of hit me very largely and very big. Matthew chapter 4. Scripture tells us here about the temptation that, that Jesus had. Matthew chapter 4. Let me get there. Matthew 4 and verse 1 is where it all begins, of course. But In the arena of prayer, your prayer has to be the way that Jesus does it. Mm-hmm. He is your example. He teaches us how to pray. We, we could look at Matthew 6 and verses 9 through 13 and see the Lord's Prayer. and That prayer God that I pray, you know. My daily prayer guide that I use, uh, you, you could read them there and, and get a lot out of that. And that's how we should. Jesus taught us a, a, a great method of prayer. But he gave us a secret in Matthew chapter 4 in the arena of our prayer. You remember that Jesus was led of the Spirit for a time of fasting and prayer into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And the Bible says that at the conclusion of that fast, he was hungered. What that means is if you fasted 40 days, there's what's called a complete fast. When you fast a long fast, if you have enough fat, fat stores on your body, you know, you, once you get past uh, three days, sort of a, gets away from you as far as your head and your stomach, that kind of thing, and the next three days just battles with your mind. And then after that, you begin to do that transition in your body. And once you transcend uh, from uh, eating food to eating fat stores off your body, then you're doing good. And there's, you know, from day seven to ever how long it is, depending on fat stores you're having about it, how long you can fast. So Jesus had fasted to the length of 40 days, and he became hungered. And what that meant was he had went so long that hunger now returned to him because he had eaten up all of the fat stores off of his body, and now he was hungry again. So he's going to have to eat something, or he's going to die physically. And the devil knows that. That's one of the reasons he talks to him about getting these bread and these stones and making bread out of him. I mean, he knows what's going on. But I want to show you a few of the things that happened here. Look at verse 4. Upon him being challenged to make stones into bread. Verse 4. Jesus answered and said, It's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds out of the mouth of God. Notice how Jesus responds to the devil. He responds to him with, it is written. Your prayer life, my prayer life should not be based on, I hurt so much, God. I know you might. I can understand that. 
It shouldn't be based on, I need so much. God, you don't know what I need. I know you may have some needs. I can understand that too. We've all been there. But that is not what we base our prayer life on. Jesus was hungry, and he didn't say, Father God, I'm hungry. Let me make these stones into bread. No, he went to the Word of God. Our prayer is not based on our need. It's not based on our want or our desire or those kind of things in our life. We may have all of those, not denying that they are there. But it is not the basis upon which we pray. It is not the basis. We don't come to God based on who we are. We come to God based on who Jesus is. And, And like token, when we pray, we pray based on it is written. If you have a need in life or a circumstance in life that, where you need God to come to your rescue, you need to find a, it is written. Not, Lord, you know, this is the problem and it's terrible. And, Lord, you know the problem I'm in. Don't you care? It's not that. It's, it is written. That is the ironclad bedrock basis for you receiving. If you want to receive any other way other than it is written, then really what we're doing is just depending on our works or depending on, you know, what we can do or what we can't do or our hurt or our need or our problem or whatever exists. And that is not the basis of prayer. It is based upon it is written. Somebody say, it is written. And so notice he says that. Now, the, the one thing, the one thing, where, where, are you, where are you at? Matthew 4, verse 4. It says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds out of the mouth of God. We live, and notice that word, word, there, every word. This word is a word from the Greek, rhema. There's another one that might be used, there's maybe another after that too, but logos, but it's not logos, it's rhema. Rhema is as if God spoke it to you. You live by God spoke words to you. It's not general word, it's word to you. It's word that you've feasted in, you've lived in, and it sort of jumped off of that page and into your heart, and that promise is mine. I have it. God said it to me. Thank God for whoever may spoke it to me. It may have been Fred Price that made me aware of it. It might have been Brother Hagen that made me remember it. It might have been, you know, whoever it would have been. But when it came from their lips and into my ears, somewhere along the way, it got into my heart. And I said, thank you, Fred, but for all you've done. But now God's talking to me. God's the one who said it to me. It's a rhema word to me. Somebody say rhema. A rhema word, a living word, a live word that's on the inside. That's what you live by. You live by those words that have become real unto you from the scriptures. Now, notice verse 5 says, Then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on the pentacle of the temple and said, If you are a son of God, throw yourself down. Notice what the devil now says. What do you say? Boris Ridd? The devil's a quick study. Okay, Jesus, is this the way we're going to go? You're going to say it's written? The devil says, I'm going to say it's written. Difference is, Jesus is saying it's written, which is purely what God spoke. And what the devil is going to do is say it's written in such a way to try to can you or catch you or use it against you or twist and distort it as he did in the Garden of Eden. And so he tries to use it against you. And he does the same thing to you and I today in different areas of our life. 
I mean, you, you know, the devil will say something to you like, well, you believe in God for this? Yeah, yes, I am. Well, you don't you know God wants you to have patience. You know, the Bible says in the book of James, let patience have its perfect work. So why don't you just struggle with this a little bit longer? Why don't you just hurt a little bit more? Why don't you just wait, wait, wait? Because it's just patience. And the devil will try to bring things like that to you. But you know what? The Bible says now is the accepted time of salvation. Today, if you will hear his voice, the Bible tells us. And so, and so you have to rightly divide the word of God. But then the devil says, it's written. What does Jesus say to him in verse 7? Jesus says, it is written again. Some of us think that we learn a verse of Scripture and it's the end of the trouble. Some of us think we learn a verse of Scripture or we stand on a verse of Scripture or we pray a verse of Scripture and all of a sudden, all of our problems go away. And everything is blue skies. You know, nothing but blue skies do I see. I mean, everything's fine. Everything's fine. It's a wonderful world. The birds are singing. The sun is shining. It's just a wonderful day. I prayed one time. Now, you know what? Sometimes I have prayed one time and sometimes, it, you know, got some wonderful results that one time prayer. But there's been other times when the devil came back again. And you know what I had to do? I prayed again. I stood on the word again. And that's what Jesus did. He went back to the word again. He didn't go to somebody else. He, he, he didn't get on the phone and call up John the Baptist and say, Hey, John, the devil's done come back to me a second time. I quoted the word of God to him. And now he's come back again. John, I remember you were wearing a necktie the other day and you had a great baptism service. Would you cut up part of that necktie and send it to me and I'll hold that necktie and I'll stand on that necktie? Some evangelists have done that in days go by. But no, that's not what he did. He went back to what works and what always works, which is the word of God. And Jesus said, again, it's written again. In other words, in prayer, you get on the word of God and you do not get off. You stay on it. How long? Forever. You stay on it forever. You don't get off of the Word of God. You stay on the Word of God. He said, it's written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Well, the devil comes back, tempts him again. Verse 10, Jesus said to him again, get hence, Satan, for it is written. Three times. Three times. Jesus is confronted by the devil in his time of fasting and prayer, and the devil comes against him three times, and three times Jesus uses the Word against him. All three times. And so it is the word that we use in our life to combat the devil coming against us. I had a friend, uh, I don't know if he's listening online today, he might be, but uh, used to work with many, many years ago. And uh, uh, he said this to me. He said, oh, if I could just get the devil, I'd get him and I'd choke him, I'd choke him. That's what I do, I'd just hold him up and I'd choke him. And he wrestled all through high school and college. He was a big guy too. He said, I'd choke him, I'd choke him. And if he could have got him physically, I'm pretty sure he could have done a job on the devil. But you know what? You're not going to get your physical hands around the devil's neck. So if you're trying to choke him out, that ain't going to work. Certainly don't try to cuss him out. Don't do that. Don't try to do anything natural, physical. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. But they are strong and they are mighty and they will pull down every stronghold. Second Corinthians chapter 10 tells us that. And so Jesus says three times it's written. So what is it that we do in prayer? We get the word of God in us, in us, in us, in us, and in us. We understand it. We memorize it. We quote it. We speak it. We confess it. We live it. We think it. We talk it. It fills us. We are. We become that word. And we never let go of it. Never, ever, ever let go of it. It was in 1988 that we had some turmoil in the, uh, the kingdom of God or the church, you might say, particularly in the southeast here, where some great evangelists fell. 1988. 
And when these evangelists began to fall in 1988 and they had the problems they had, some people fell with them. I know people that did. I know people fell out of church, fell away from God, and never came back because of what an evangelist said. And an evangelist fell and took them with them in their failure. But there were some people that didn't fall. Amen. You know why? Because you know what? We stood on the Word and continued to stand on it, no matter if a thousand fall at your left hand or ten thousand on your right hand. It doesn't matter. You keep on standing on the Word of Almighty God. We won't let it go. We've got to learn that as children of God. Just because the opposition comes like the devil did three times, don't mean the Word's not working. David Ingalls, a great psalmist years ago, wrote the song, The Word is working mightily in me. The Word is working mightily in me. No matter what the circumstances, what I feel or see, the Word is working mightily in me. Somebody say amen. Amen. The Word is working. Doesn't matter what you feel or see. The Word is working. You get on the Word, you stay on the Word. That's, that's my anchor. That's my security. If my anchor is me, I might mess up. How before? Might do it again. Not planning on it. But my anchor is not me. My anchor is the word of Almighty God. And so if some come and go, they come and go. We don't want them to, but if that be the case, in Christianity, it, it does happen. But, if, you know, we're going to stand on the word of God. Not going to quit. Now, notice what happened in verse 11. Three times Jesus said it was written to all of the temptations of the devil. Finally, verse 11, then the devil left him. Then the devil left. The devil left, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. The devil left him, and then angels came and ministered unto him. And so what we need to do in our lives is we need to incorporate the Word of God in our prayer life. Uh, There's a story that uh, I I was reading right here. Um, (laughs) Brother Osmond talked about in this book that I'm getting some gleanings from. the good life. He talked about the how when he first started praying and, you know, seeking the Lord and those kind of things. And basically his life changed again that 1948. I sort of say magical. It's not quite the year, but that supernatural year of 1948. It took place when numbers of world ministries were started in 1948. Billy Graham was one of those. But so was T.L. Osborne. And when he became empowered by the things of God and when prayer, he used to spend a lot of time in prayer. And in this prayer, he would be praying. Now, I sort of grew up that way, too. Because I grew up in a Pentecostal church. And this is a Pentecostal church. We're full gospel. But uh, in the church I grew up in, uh, you, you, you just didn't. If, if you were called on to pray, you prayed, brother. <laughs> and you didn't leave any silence between your words. Oh, God, I come to you now in the name of Jesus. I'm just believing that you're going to move and touch every person in this whole house today. And, oh, God, we stand before you on the blood, you know. And he just kept on talking, kept on talking. He said, what happened if you run out of words while you were praying? What do you do then? This is what you did. Oh, God, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Ha! And what we do here is we love you, good Lord. Ha! <laughs> we added the highs. Somebody say, ha! <laughs> say it with me. Come on, go. Ha! <laughs> say in Jesus' name. Ha! I don't know, but we just couldn't stop talking. If you stop talking, you just half backslid. If you stop talking, boy, we don't got no trust or confidence in you. If my pastor prayed for me and he didn't spit on me, there wasn't no anointing there. I mean, you know, you want, I want you to pray. I remember people talking to me like over years, say, I want you to pray. Okay, we will. I mean, really pray. Really pray. 
Get serious before God and pray. Okay, I am. I, you, you're not understanding me. I mean, pray, pray, scream, holler, cry loud, pray. Somebody say pray. That ain't the way we said pray. Somebody need to pray. Somebody around here needs to touch God. Ha. Amen. Brother Osmond said well, he was in Foursquare Church. Great, wonderful church. Jack Hayford been a big part of that. But he was in the Foursquare Church. So was Amy Simple McPherson. She was in it as well. And so he was in the Foursquare Church and he prayed like that. Now remember what prayer is. It's communion fellowship with God. But he said what happened was this, that he learned something about prayer time. He said, when you open your Bible and read it, you are hearing God talk. Prayer and reading the Bible should always go together. One is not complete without the other. When you pray, you speak to God. When you read the Bible, God speaks to you. There is no real communion or communication unless you both take part in the conversation. And so when you pray, it's not just you up there talking nonstop in a talkathon, and you got through praying and said, Did you get your prayer though? I'm hoarse, ain't I? I wasn't, no. It's not just you talking nonstop, it is you praying and communing and have a relationship with God. Amen. Well, what if my wife and I. And uh, we, we, we go out on our date on Friday night. And, uh, you know, another Friday night. And I got some money because I just got paid. But anyway, and so, uh, Saturday wasn't. But we go on our date. And I say, Sheila, hop in. She hops in the car, gets her, slides over together with me. And we on the front seat of our car there. We're riding out doing this. Sheila, how's your day been going today? Well, that's good. You know, where you want to go now? Well, look, I was thinking about that too. And everything I say to her, I never give her an opportunity to say anything. <laughs> Not one single thing. Not nothing. What kind of communication did we have? Wasn't much, was it? Wasn't much. And so then, Brother Osborne said what he had learned to do was when he come to the Lord is that he would also establish the Word of God in his life in his prayer. Jesus said it's written three times. In your prayer time, you ought to incorporate the Word into your prayer. I'm reading the Word. I'm looking at the Word, and the Bible tells me, and I'm looking. I see Isaiah 53, and I say, the Bible says, by his stripes, I'm healed. And I look at it, and I read it. Yes. Lord, this is what you said in your Word. So body in Jesus' name. God says I'm healed, so I'm healed in Jesus' name. That's my prayer. I don't base it on the fact that I might be hurting or have a problem or a sickness or disease or issue. I'm not based on it at all. I'm based on Isaiah 53. Amen. And the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, it says, by his stripes, you were healed. I've already been healed. That was 2,000 years ago. I'm not trying to get healed. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus, I'm healed in Jesus' name. Amen. I read the Bible and look at Matthew chapter 8, verses 16, 17. And I say that Jesus Christ, to prove the words of Isaiah, that he bore our sickness and our disease, our infirmities, he did it. Thank you, Jesus. You bore it, and I give you praise and glory. In Jesus' name, I'm healed in the name of the Lord. You pray the word of God into your heart and into your life. Pray it there. Don't just read it saying, well, I've done my prayer time. Now I'm going to go pray. Won't need a Bible for this. No, take your Bible with you when you pray. Take the word with you when you pray. Andrew Murray said it like this. Both the word of God and prayer are indispensable for communion with God. I wonder if T.L. read Andrew Murray 48. He may very well have. He said, and in the middle or in the inner chamber, they should not be separated. Don't separate the word and prayer in your prayer life. 
Does my Bible reading now? Now I'll go and pray. No. Go ahead and do your Bible reading. That's okay. Do that. But take your Bible with you into prayer. Pray that word. Speak that word in your prayer time. And your Murray went on to say, in his word, God speaks to us in prayer. And in prayer, we speak to God. T.L., I know what you've been reading, brother. Andrew Murray lived before him. That's all right. The word teaches us to know God to whom we pray. It teaches us he wants us or, or how he wants us to pray. And it gives us precious promises that encourage us in prayer. It often gives us wonderful lessons of answered prayer. Look at those four things that he said. He said the, the word of God teaches us how God wants us to pray. The, the word teaches us to know God. As I'm praying and I have the word open, I find out who God is. I find out he's not this mean, terrible person that the world said he was about to get me if I just make one mistake trying to send me to hell as fast as he can. Now, is there a penalty for sin? Of course there is, okay? I'm not preaching unrighteous, unholy living. But I am learning from the word of God the nature and character of who God is when I have the word open. If not, only thing I can pray is what I remember in my mind or what society has taught me or what my family has instructed me or what my church gave me or whatever. That's all, that's all I have to draw from. We all work the same way. And so to draw something that is spiritual from your heart and your mind, get the word of God in your heart and mind and have the word of God with you when you pray. Amen. Then you'll become knowledgeable about God. You, you will understand that he, how he wants you to pray. You'll understand his promises that encourage you how to pray, where God promised you this, He promised you that, throughout the Word of God. And you'll find in Scripture how many people pray for the same thing you did, and they got it. Mm-hmm. And how you can do the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's Incorporate the Word of God with your prayer life. Andrew Murray went on to say, The Word comes from God's heart and brings His thoughts and His love into your heart. Amen. There's a moving of God through His Word into my heart. God is coming into my heart through the power of his word. I'm in communion with God. I'm in fellowship with him. Three things he said, and I'll sort of let him rest here. He said, one great cause of prayerlessness. Reason why people don't pray? Is that we read God's word too little. Yeah, I mean, you know, you can't do it now because of the virus stuff going on but if the pastor comes to your house and comes inside your house and and you know and you say oh lord the pastor's here pastor walks in and little johnny comes over here and you say little johnny little johnny the pastor's go get that book mama loves so much and little johnny comes back with the serious robot catalog you in trouble (laughs) right you in big trouble what happens is we read it too little if you know more about the days of our lives i don't even know if it's still on but if you know more about the days of your lives than the days of God's life, you in trouble. You in trouble. Amen? Amen. Big trouble. Andrew said the reason that people don't pray that much is they, they read God's word too little. They don't read it enough. Second thing he said is when they do read it, they only read it superficially. They, they just skim across the top of it, find a little verse here. Oh, help me, help me, i got to find this. And find a little verse that says this. But they don't dig into the Word. They don't let that Word be planted in their heart, become inbred in their heart and their spirit. They just touch it and skip right over it like you skip rock over a pond. That's how they do the Word of God, just superficially. 
Just off of the top. Get, get you a good word of God. I have lots of Bibles. You all know that. I've got a lot of Bibles, probably right now, 130, 140 Bibles that I have in paper edition, not counting all the computer stuff I got. But, but you know what? Get you a Bible that you can read that is a good, strong, solid translation. I got some others that, that are paraphrased, and I enjoy those sometimes, just reading a story. I, I do that sometimes. Give a little further information about stuff. I understand that too. But get you a good, solid re- Bible where you say, I know this is the Word of God. This is what God is speaking to me. And get you something that you can plant into your life. And don't just read it superficially. Dig into the words and the understanding of the words and the word meanings that are there. Look into that. Make life a study of the Bible your whole life. Stay in the Word of God. Third thing, and then Murray said this, he said this. Some people read the Bible, and the problem is this, is when they do, they read it in the light of human wisdom. If one thing that I don't like and don't care for is this, to hear someone preaching or ministering and they'll say... Well, let me tell you what Dr. So-and-so says about this. Thank God for Dr. So-and-so. That's wonderful. But I really don't care what Dr. So-and-so says about it. What I care about is what the Word of God says about it. Or somebody said, well, let me give you my opinion on this. You ever heard preachers preach that way? They'll say, now, there's there's something going on here. There are four different opinions on this, and I'm going to give you all four of them. At the end of all four, I'm wondering, which one you want me to believe, you know? Is that what God's Word is? We're just picking our opinions? No. There is a true, unadulterated, pure Word of God. And we should not read it out of the mind of mortal man. We should read it like Jesus said, when the Spirit comes, He will guide you into all truth. The Holy Ghost is your best teacher. Amen? Amen? He is. And so it is in our prayer life and in our prayer time that we pray and we pray the Word of God. Do it. Do it. Begin to bring the Word of God into your prayer life. Turn off the news. Let go of CNN and Fox and everybody else and turn them off and go to God's news. Go into prayer with the Word of God. Turn off your iPad if it's going to ring on you. Turn off your phone if it's going to ring on you. I mean, can you imagine that? Could you really imagine that? I mean, some of you, whenever we get to heaven and we're there in heaven... And, and we're there, and God's lining us up, and, you know, this, this imaginal line. that The left's going this way, and the right's going that way, and you walk up there, and it's, hey, God says, St. Peter opens the book and looks for your name right there, and says, okay, and he calls your name John Doe, step right on up. And you step right on up, and while you're standing, Peter says, okay, the book says about you, ring, ring, ring. And all of a sudden, John Doe's phone starts ringing. And he said, wait a minute, Peter, wait a minute, let me, let me just check something. I don't think we're going to do that. Somebody say amen. Amen. Then don't take your phone that's going to ring on you into your prayer closet. What if somebody calls you? Then call back. What if it's an emergency? Then call back twice. But what's more important? You talking to just whoever the telemarketer might be that wants to call you. Or talking to God. Oh man, if you get an audience with God, (laughs) don't share it with just anybody. Amen. 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 Share it with those that agree. If two or three agree, share that audience with them. 